0: Jake, did you do any sort of surfing today? Surfing? No, man. I live in Canberra. I not I can't surf. The sea is hundreds of kilometres away, man. Well, did you get stuck in any kind of web? No. What web?
1: The World Wide Web.
0: So, Tyrone, what if I told you that smashing tiny little particles over near the border of France and Switzerland gave us the World Wide Web? I'd say you're trying to deceive me. I'm not. I would never do that to you. The World Wide Web all started with CERN. Now, CERN is the European Organization for Nuclear Research. It's a high-energy physics laboratory based in Geneva. And Geneva's in Switzerland, and it's funded by the government of over 20 European nations. So over 20 European nations have all got together and go, you know what? We're making a nuclear physics lab in the middle of Switzerland, which is really, really cool. Now, CERN is the home of the Large Hadron Collider, or the LHC. The Large Hadron Collider. That's that thing that
1: could create a flux vortex and rip a hole in the entire space-time continuum, right?
0: Mate, I think you've been watching too much Star Trek. No, I, no, I don't, think it can, I don't think that can happen. However, the LHC is the largest piece of scientific experimental apparatus ever built. Yeah? So, how big is it? Alright, so get this. The LHC has big circular tracks. It's 162 kilometers long, and it was built in a tunnel roughly 100 meters underground. Wow, 162 k's! Sounds like an incredible feat of engineering. What do we do with all of that? In a simple model of an atom, we have positive protons, negative electrons, and neutral neutrons. So the LHC accelerates protons. Now, get this, Tyrod. It accelerates protons to about 10 kilometers an hour slower than the speed of light. Only 10 k's an hour slower than the speed of light. So, for an example, if you were to shoot one of these little protons out and light from the sun getting to Jupiter, this little particle going from the sun to Jupiter, the light would get there first, but this proton would only be about 5 kilometers behind. That's how fast these protons are going. Before the LHC was built, another experiment was in its place, and it's called the Large Electron-Positron Collider. Electrons are a part of atoms, and their positive counterparts, positrons, would travel in separate tracks in opposite directions. And the electrons and positrons would whiz around the 162km round trip at about 1,500 times a second until the scientist laid the tracks, flicked the switch, and the electron and positron were smashed into each other. This would create huge amounts of energy and some smaller particles, and they actually discovered what's known as a Z boson, which is more fundamental than an electron. To put it into sort of perspective, back in 2012, the LHC discovered a particle called the Higgs boson. Now, the Higgs is a particle that explains why other particles, like electrons, have mass. So the discovery of the Higgs boson allows us to now know how you and me, Tyrone, have mass. Jake, you told me what we do with the Large Hadron Collider, but why would we want to do something like that anyway? Alright, let me give you an example, Tyrone. What if I was to give you, or anyone else, a present? What if I was to give you a present right now? What would you do with it? I would want to open it up and see what's on the inside. Exactly right, man. So if you give a particle physicist an atom, that's like a present. They're like, wow, this is awesome. We're going to spin this around and make it super fast, and then we're going to smash these things into each other and see what happens. That's basically what's going on. And this is really, really cool, because then they can find even, small, the, even smaller foundation building blocks of what we see around us, what the whole unit, well, about 5% of the universe is made out of atoms, and we can find even little smaller parts and smaller parts and smaller parts, which make up you and me, which is really, really exciting. Scientists like presents. So how many scientists are working on the world's largest experiment? Now, there are an estimated to be about 12,000, Tyrone, 12,000 particle physicists from over 70 countries who go to CERN for their research. Now, that's half of the world's population of particle physicists right there. Half the world's
1: population of particle physicists.
0: And they all have to get to CERN? Yes. Well, they've got to get to and from CERN to get their data. Now, that's a lot of travel and therefore a lot of money, right?
1: Yeah, and they would be spending time away from their families as well, which, you know, that can sometimes be an inconvenience.
0: Yeah, it would be. To get a sort of feel for these 12,000 people, an author list on some of these academic papers that CERN release can be as many as 10 pages long which means all these people need to be able to talk to one another. Aside from efficiency,
1: communication is king. (laughs) Exactly right, Tyrone. This is Rayleigh Podcast, shining light on the benefits of blue sky research. You can find us on Facebook, Rayleigh Podcast, R-A-Y-L-E-E. You can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes.
0: Back in 1989, whilst the Large Electron and Positron Collider was in operation, an English scientist by the name of Tim berners lee came up with an excellent solution for scientists to be able to talk to each other and get data without having to leave their home country. Sounds cool. Tim had an idea in mind. When he and his colleague Robert, they wanted a common information space in which to communicate by sharing information. That was a direct quote by Tim. By doing that, they wanted to make it easier for nuclear physics researchers to share their information and to share their data around. So you could be a researcher in America, I could be a researcher in Australia, and we would need to leave our homes and we could get access to the data that's in CERN, all the way on the Swiss-French border. Both these guys sat down and started researching how this could be done and came up what's known as the hypertext system. Hypertexting is something we see every day. So Tyrone, have you ever been in a situation where you've copied and pasted something straight from Wikipedia to your homework? No, I've never done that. What's Wikipedia? Oh, come on, mate. Well, if you do copy straight from Wikipedia, all of these blue-coloured underlined words all turn up in your document. So those blue-coloured lines are actually hyperlinks. So one click and you go straight to an article or music or document or even video. And you can actually thank Tim and Robert for that. So hypertexting is a way to connect information to other information. Is that right? Yeah. So Tim and Robert's idea of hypertexting data was proposed to the big bosses in CERN. Initially, the idea attracted little interest and gained little momentum. But eventually, Tim and Robert joined forces and wrote a joint proposal for the World Wide Web system. Now, the justification for the World Wide Web was that it would be a single, simple space that connected to all of the information systems used by researchers at CERN and elsewhere. I don't know much about the World Wide Web,
1: but I have heard that it's kind of like the cataloguing system that you find in libraries. The library stores the books, but they also have a way to find the information when you want
0: it. Is the World Wide Web similar to that? It sure is, Tyrone. So the World Wide Web provides a common format for documents and other media that are stored on server computers. Now, a server computer is just like your desktop computer. Instead of having loads of tasks for it to do, it only has a simple task. It only has one direct task, and it does it really, really well. Now, the common format labels each document with a unique name. And this label was then used by a browser program such as Google Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Opera... I don't think there's any, any else. Now, the browser locates and retrieves the document and displays it onto your computer. And that's what a server does. Is it goes out, and reaches out, grabs that information, pops that onto your browser and bobs your uncle. As the web began to grow, it was realised the true potential of the technology would only be unleashed if anyone, anywhere, could use it without paying a fee or having to ask permission. Now these great scientists, these noble scientists, they released the World Wide Web software freely. Now anyone is able to connect and share documents, videos, music, games, you name it, with everyone else on the World Wide Web, anyone else everywhere. The greatest enabling aspect
1: of the internet is that its use is independent from a person's location. Now, get
0: this. Now, with the introduction of the World Wide Web, if you're a CERN researcher and all of a sudden you have to go down to an Antarctic research base and you can go down there, do your work in Antarctica with internet access and you can be able to access CERN's database. If you are a... Another CERN scientist, you could be a scientist up in the International Space Station, orbiting 500 kilometers above Earth, and you can still access the World Wide Web. You can be in the Australian Outback and access the World Wide Web. You can be a researcher sitting on your deck chair, sipping your pina colada in the Bahamas, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean over a nice sunset with a laptop in front of you, typing away and analysing your data from CERN.
1: The World Wide Web was originally intended to improve communications within the physics community or CERN, and it rapidly became the new must-have application for the internet. It has become a tool that connects people. It connects people with information. Google. It connects people with entertainment. Netflix, man. It connects people with money. Online banking, bitcoins. It connects people with resources. Online shopping. It connects people with people. MySpace. Connection. They want connection. (laughs)
0: Facebook. That is our final episode of this season. Thank you so much to everyone hanging out and checking us out. My name's Jake. My name's
1: Tyrone. Thanks for listening and big shout out to Izzy.
0: Our intro, interlude and outro is by Alex Baroza and the title is Spinning.